and relax. That was some cat ASMR for you on this special episode of the General Speech Podcast. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm sorry I did that. Uh, I'm not into ASMR. Are you? Does it work for you? It's never really done it for me. I've listened to a few ASMR videos and I always just find them kind of slightly weird and creepy and I feel like there's probably something sexual about them. I know ASMR people say that it isn't, but it kind of it kind of feels like it is, doesn't it? Is it just me? Uh anyway, it doesn't it doesn't really do it for me, but if it does it for you, who am I to judge? That's my opinions on ASMR. Uh, this is a podcast about mental health and well-being. It's a conversation with my friend Jenny. Uh, I will tell you more about Jenny and the weird, uh, not weird, but unusual format that this podcast takes in just a minute. Um, but first, hi, how are you doing? Uh, I hope you're okay. Uh, if you're in the UK, what tier are you in? Are you in? Are you in the kind of gold standard elite? Are you one of those people, the tier one people? who are living their life free and happy and easy without any worries or qualms? Or are you one of the untouchables, one of the miserables, who are in tier three, one of those northern people, uh, those plague people? Wherever you are, whatever tier you're in, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're happy and keeping um, safe and finding ways to entertain yourself and to connect with people. I'm in tier two, so I'm uh, in the middle of the road tier. Uh, that means I can still see people, but it has to be outside. Um, so as long as you don't mind socializing in the cold and dark, that's fine. Um, and tier two is kind of a, it's kind of how I like to think of myself at the best of times, actually. I think I'm a kind of tier two kind of a guy, kind of somewhere in the middle. No, n- not very extreme in many of my views um, or my behaviors. Just a, Just a middle of the road kind of a guy. And that suits me pretty well. Um, oh, hey, exciting news. Uh, last week at the time of recording, uh, I got an email addressed to Dr. Tim Leeson informing me that I had just officially finished my six year professional doctorate in practical theology. So that's over. If I had sound effects, I'd play you some sound effects of people clapping and cheering and that kind of stuff. But the only sound effect I have is uh, of a cat purring. Um, and that that's not what I'm going for right now. But still, it's great news. It's a, it's a weird kind of feeling because the day after I got that email, I woke up and life hadn't changed. I wasn't being paid more. I didn't have a faster car. I didn't have beautiful women throwing themselves at me. Life hasn't changed at all since having the title of doctor in front of my name. Um, but it feels, I guess, like a relief Like it feels like after six years of hard work and a couple of kind of chapters within those six years where I came really close to giving up and deciding that it wasn't for me to just kind of be told it's it's properly over now. You can relax was a real, real relief. Um, uh, Postgraduate study and doctoral theses and that kind of stuff are just kind of one false summit after another because you you submit your thesis and you think you're done and you celebrate and then you've got to do your viva or you've got to do your kind of spoken exam um so you do that and then 
if you pass that you think it's over and you celebrate but if you're anything like me you've still got to make a few corrections based on what your examiner said so then you do those and you submit those and you think it's over and you celebrate and then you get an email back from your examiners to say there's still a few more changes you need to make and it goes on um so when you finally get that email to say genuinely i promise you, you have actually finished now you are you you are officially a doctor the, this journey is over that's a really really great feeling um so that's just my uh this podcast gives me a little opportunity to boast about my achievements and there that is and that window has just closed that's done that's me done with boasting about my achievements this podcast is a conversation with jenny osborne um jenny is a freelance youth work uh consultant mentor um, support for people who work with young people basically um, she's also someone who I have worked with on issues of mental health with young people and that's what this conversation is all about Jenny and I first met um, at a think tank uh, organized by Concrete a London-based youth work organization run by James Fawcett friend of the podcast he was guest on episode two um, and Jenny and I were part of a think tank that was all about young people's mental health and what youth work and the church and whoever else can do to help support young people in their in their mental health and well-being. And as it happens, I now work for an organization which is all about supporting people in mental health and well-being. So when Jenny and I reconnected a little while ago, we thought it would be fun to kind of carry on the conversation. And this is a slightly unusual podcast because uh, so Jenny has has published so she's uh, written a Grove book and published a number of articles, but also she has her own podcast uh, called Jenny Talks, in which Jenny talks to people about youth work and mental health and these kinds of issues. Um, so when Jenny and I recorded this conversation, we both recorded it uh, with a view to share it on our own podcasts. So the conversation that you're about to hear is identical to the one that Jenny is going to upload also today on Friday the 23rd of October. I think that's right. I'm recording this a few days in advance and I'm not good at maths, even just a simple plus two. Um, so this podcast will go out twice. Not this intro bit. This is just for you. This is just for you, my friends. Jenny will do her own intro for her own podcast, but the stuff that comes after this bit uh, will be available on two separate podcasts. So that means that the format was slightly different for both of us. I feel like it's probably closer to the usual general speech format than it is to the usual Jenny Talks format. Um, it's about an hour long. It's a kind of freewheeling conversation, uh, whereas Jenny's usual uh, kind of way of doing podcasts is slightly shorter and slightly more structured conversations, more of a more of an interview um, than this kind of, uh, like I say, kind of freewheeling back and forth that this podcast has started to do um so yeah is that interesting i hope that's interesting let me say what is what is interesting is uh jenny and the work that she does if you're interested in issues around young people mental health youth work youth ministry i really recommend you check out jenny's website jennyosborne.org um i'll put a link in the show notes uh, she, like I say, she is someone who her the strap line on her website is supporting those who support young people, and she is a great support and a great friend and a great person to kind of bounce ideas around with. Um, she's very open-minded and inclusive, and um, someone who 
I am glad to have in my life. Um, so do check her out and do check her stuff out, including her podcast, which is uh, really, really good, but not quite as good as this one. And speaking of this one, uh, more technical difficulties. Um, one day I'll figure out how to do this without technical difficulties. Uh, this was recorded on a different hosting sites to the one I normally use but it was uh, nice to see that other hosting sites have the same problems as the ones that I'm coming across all the time so you'll hear especially towards the end of the conversation the timing's a little bit weird so uh, my voice comes in slightly earlier than I was actually talking because the way it works it records two tracks and then automatically layers them over themselves um, so occasionally you'll hear me kind of talking across Jenny. That's not because I'm some kind of terrible, uh, toxic masculinity guy who doesn't value Jenny's thoughts or opinions. It's just a technical difficulty. So it'll sound a little bit weird towards the end, but forgive me, uh, and forgive the podcast hosting platforms, which seem to do this often. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, hand over to our conversation with Jenny in just a sec. Just one more little update. Uh, this is going to be the last episode of the general speech for a while. It's not It's not the last, last episode. Um, but I've basically, I have had conversations with six people and I don't have any more conversations uh, recorded or booked. And so I thought I would take a little time to just kind of get back on track, find some more contacts, think about the direction I want to go in with the podcast. I have some ideas. I have some thoughts. Um, but none of them are set in stone yet. So I figure after this, I've kind of been uploading every couple of weeks, roughly on average. Um, and after this, there'll be a little break, maybe up until kind of the new year or something like that, while I think about kind of what comes next. Um, and just to say again, if you have any suggestions or any thoughts or even any people who you think would be good and interesting guests for me to talk to, then drop me a line um, send me an email or message me on Facebook or whatever. Um, I am open to suggestions. Okay, I think that's all my news. Um, I'm going to hand over to my conversation with Jenny. I hope you enjoy it and find it interesting. And uh, I'll see you around. Hi, Tim, and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. It's really great that you're joining us today. Hi, Jenny, and welcome to the General Speech podcast. It's really great that you're joining us today. <laughs> this is going to be slightly weird, isn't it, doing two, two recordings at the same time, but it's, but it's really brilliant. So I'm going to get in first and say, could you kind of introduce yourself a little bit for the Jenny Talks listeners? Yes, that's fine. So um, uh, my name's Tim. Uh, I've been uh, involved in... Um, faith-based youth work in some capacity or another for the best part of the kind of last two decades um, and recently uh, left that world to um, still do work with young people but work specifically around mental health and and not uh, to do with faith um, and I started my podcast which is the general speech podcast earlier this year um, just as a way of keeping those kinds of lively conversations about faith uh alive in my life basically um because i miss those um and it's it's a lot of the time they're conversations which are quite critically reflective about religion and faith and um the the negative impacts that those things can have on people's lives as well as the positive impacts so so that's kind of where i'm coming from um, sure. and jenny 
would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners of the General Speech Podcast, of which there are yeah, about six? So... <laughs> <laughs> well, hi, all you six people listening to the General Speech Podcast. Um, <laughs> my name is Jenny Osborne, and like Tim, I have been in youth ministry um, and youth work for the past 20-odd years, um, and much of that in and around faith-based youth work, although I worked in uh, like I was a teacher in a, in a secondary school for a little while. Um, so that was um, a slightly different, perhaps, um, context for working with young people. Um, and like Tim, you know, I have got to a place now where um, I am less sort of focused on church-based youth work, although still um, kind of championing, championing that where I can. Um, and the Jenny Talks podcast has very much been part of that if you like although I'm keen for, for it to be um, from across a different spectrum of ideas um, mm -hmm. so I want to sort of draw in some different people on that um, my podcast like yours started over the summer um, I've been freelance for a couple of years now doing some uh, training around young people and mental health in the church I wrote a Grove book about that um, which is actually called mental health and young people um, rather than the other way around so yeah so I've been that's it's a, a real passion of mine um like it is I know yours Tim to mm -hmm. kind of think about young people mental health um and with a critical reflective view on how church can help um with that um yeah and we met didn't we because we both um were part of the think tank for um young people and mental health that was run by the London diocese that's right um, and I think that they had an aim too of kind of trying to critically reflect on how the church um, was managing with this and, and how we could up, try and upskill, I guess, the church or try and kind of encourage churches to do things better um, yeah. as far as our young people and mental health are concerned. So I have a bit of a question for you, which, you know, might start us start off this conversation. Cool. Um, what is it that young people need? Uh, cool. So you're starting off with a nice, easy one. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I should say, I, I don't know if it's picking up on the microphone at all, but my um, cat is here next to me and she's in like <laughs> full like flirt mode. So I don't know if her purring is picking up on the microphone. I hope that that's a nice noise for listeners, not a distracting one. Um, but if, if you do, if you do hear it, Jenny, and it's annoying, then let me know and I'll kick her out. Um, so what do young people need? I, I mean, I mean, that's so huge. I don't even know where to begin with it, really. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think probably I would say that what young people need is not that different to what people need in general. Um, mm -hmm. And that, this is something that I've become kind of increasingly um, kind of passionate about over the past mm -hmm. kind of couple of years. Um, I've just I've just finished a, a, a doctorate, um, which I maybe should have said in my intro just a second ago. Um, and one of the th kind of things that came up in that is that the, the kind of culture of youth ministry in the church and youth work outside of the church, I think sometimes sets up false, um, barriers between young people mm. and adults as if we're two different species. Um, mm. and I really don't think that we are. And I think that when I look back on, my uh like i say nearly 20 years in in youth work um young people have 
motivated me and inspired me and taught me and i have learned from them and i don't i mean that's such a that that can be that can sound almost like a twee thing to say like a tried thing to say you know like well they teach me as much as i teach them but but i mean that very sincerely that there have been times in my life um where i've been grappling with some pretty intense mental health issues myself um and the young people who i've worked with who have their own mental health issues have been what have helped me to get out of bed in the morning you know just the thought that they can do it and if they can do it i can do it too and so so, yeah sorry i went off on a little bit of a tangent then but that that is to say that i i don't think young people's needs are that different to to any of our needs and those needs i mean apart from the obvious ones like shelter and food and whatever else, I'm guessing that's not what you meant. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> for me, the the most important thing is to feel loved and mm. able to give love. Um, and that's again, potentially a slightly twee thing to say. It's a, a little bit kind of Russell Brandy, um, but I, I do think that's the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes he sometimes goes into yeah. full on six form poet mode, which I'm not such a fan of. But um, but that, that, that is he has true. some great things to say as well. Um, yeah, and I, so I think uh, like that's been really thrown into sharp relief this year with COVID and that kind of thing. Um, because yeah. as we've had to keep our distance from each other, um, uh, I I feel myself as an adult like that's been really difficult on like in terms of my mental health. And I think that young people have been feeling the same thing that when you can't see your friends, when you can't connect with people, when you can't feel like you're part of something, uh, that's a really difficult thing. So that's a a really, really broad answer, but I think that's, that's where I'd want to start really. Um, Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's, I think it's, a really key thing and I like that way that you put it about um they need to be be loved or know that they are loved but also give love I think mm. something that we miss with young people particularly perhaps young people in church is the, is is that um reciprocation of uh whatever it is that we're trying to do so I read in lots of books about youth ministry um that they often say something along the lines of, well, young people need um, to kind of grow their identity. They are empty vessels crying out to be filled or to belong to something. And that's often with an unspoken idea that that God or the church might be the thing they belong to, become become something that perhaps um, helps them in their day-to-day life, I guess. And and while that's that's one way of looking at it, and I think – but I think I've become more questioning of that point of view, and especially, as you just said, in the light of uh, this year in particular. And I've been hearing the voice of young people so much more strongly this year in terms of stuff like race um, and climate, the climate crisis, mm. and then even down to their exam results this summer and just how, you know, how much outrage there was. in in adults and how much stress there was for for the parents of those young people, but how the young people themselves, you know, actually said, this is not okay. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to just sit around and let you do this to me. (laughs) And I think sometimes the way that, that church youth work works is that doing of the youth work to the young people and not necessarily recognizing that young people 
are people too <laughs> and they're not empty vessels you know absolutely not empty vessels yeah absolutely um yeah that some of them Sorry, you know maybe some of them may be quite kind of um disenfranchised um and and might feel quite disconnected from community but i think if you look at the the good stuff that young people have been doing in recent weeks months and over the last couple of years in particular thinking about greta thunberg mm-hmm. from you know she was most in the news last year wasn't she really mm-hmm. um i'd say and i think we've really got to as a church we need to take more notice of that yeah yeah i um, i completely agree with you and that was one of the things that i uh always struggled with um especially the nearer to the kind of decision-making center of the church that i got in my career yeah. um the more i felt that that the there's a lot of uh talk about making sure that we hear young people's voices and that they've got stuff to teach us uh, and and that kind of thing, which I think is meant sincerely. But what, what then happens with it in practice is I think often it it can be, it it becomes a kind of tokenism um, kind of thing. So uh, we end up, bringing young people into our meetings into the kind of grown-up meetings and giving them five minutes to talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about and then we kind of carry on with our agenda and we potentially again very sincerely say lovely things about the young people and was so great to hear their passion and you know we will definitely take their thoughts on board and reflect on them as we you know and that kind of thing but it's it's a kind of um it's kind of like saying I think I've probably said this in another episode of the podcast, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but the, the, the kind of language is we'd like you to come and sit at our table for a bit, but it's still yeah. our table. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we still expect you to follow our rules and, you know, whatever to, to yeah. take your shoes off and to keep your elbows off the table or whatever it is. Um, so you're really yeah. welcome because we love you, but you're not so yeah. welcome that you can change the rules. And uh, and mm-hmm. even more than that, you know, we're we're not going to come to your table. Or if we do, if we do come to you in your context, it's to bring you out of it and into ours, because ours is the one where we think you should be. If you see what I mean. So we'll do kind of yeah. cool, like you know, we'll send youth workers down to the skate ramps to hang out with the kids there, and we'll learn to speak their language and listen to their music and that kind of stuff. But the goal is ultimately to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's the it's to teach them our language and to teach them our customs, and it feels like a kind of um, colonialism almost. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. and it's there's an irony to it because we have all this lovely language of, you know, the children are the future, you know, that that kind of you know, we really believe that young people have stuff to say to us, you know, they're so passionate and we want them in the church and that kind of thing. But then in practice yeah. it so so often ends up looking like this kind of um yeah, colonialism. I think you're absolutely right, Tim, and I've had so many conversations even just this week um about that that very thing um and often perhaps more from the youth worker's point of view so where the youth worker is working in a church they perhaps have had some have hopefully had training um you know in those very really key values um that we use for youth work about participation and empowerment and equality and diversity and you know being young people led and all of that sort of stuff and unfortunately um the empowerment of the young people to use their voice within a, a church setting can by and large only go so far. And so you end up with the youth worker feeling very disillusioned about the fact that they've been, they've been trying to kind of um, 
do good youth work and encourage the young people to um, use their voice and to participate well and all of that sort of stuff. And they find that actually it's not going to go very far in a church. And so they leave because it's not really what they want to be doing. And they go and find youth worker jobs that are that are more um you know that do use all of those values a little bit more practically and, and I guess that's true too then from the young person's point of view um you know they're encouraged and they're um empowered to a certain point and then and then that sort of seems to just drop off mm-hmm. um and as you say we're always the adults then are always inviting the young person to their own table or they come to the young person's table but with their own agenda and I think that that's really one of the things that's so tricky about church um, um, today, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I, I would just um, to just to not completely be unkind about the church. I would say that that's um, in in my experience of the past year of working in completely uh, non-church youth work contexts mm-hmm. um that that's just as true outside of the church as well that i think wherever there is a situation uh i guess it's a power a power thing wherever there's a situation in which people oh. have power and authority um even with the best will and intention in the world and the best kind of sound bites about including young people and getting young people mm-hmm. participating and that all yeah. that kind of stuff that actually in practice it it can it can feel like kind of hitting your head against a brick wall sometimes um uh yeah i i think it's i guess the the frustration with the church is that the church has this stuff built into its constitution into into its dna so Mm. um big businesses even i guess to an extent kind of statutory youth work services and whatever they they don't have the same um kind of uh what's what i'm looking for the same kind of ethical grounding that the church has with with with, yes, with, sure. with jesus as its figurehead who is all about this kind of stuff who is all about mm. giving power to the powerless and taking power away from the powerful mm. and redistributing it um mm. so i guess the frustration with the church is that we should be better we should know better yeah. um and um you know if if the goal is just to make money then you can argue that you know kind of good youth participation and inclusion is actually the way of the future and that that works and it makes sense from a business point of view or whatever, but it takes a bit of persuading. But with the church, that's not even the goal. The goal is, the goal is this kind of stuff to, to emancipate and to liberate and to give power. Um, So I guess it's just, it's the same wherever there are humans, wherever there is power, the same thing plays itself out. But the frustration with the church is that come on guys, come on, look at who we're following look at what this is about we should be better we should know better than this um, yeah, yeah agreed agreed so if we move slightly on to kind of the mental health particularly angle just mm-hmm. aware that um yeah we've sort of slipped away from that for for the first little bit that's, that's cool. fine um what do you think um, about how does mental health impact our young people? I mean, that's again, that's it seems such a sort of broad question, <laughs> mm-hmm. but let's kind of take it and go from there a little bit. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's especially huge at the moment, isn't it? Uh, we've we've already spoken yeah. a little bit about the the kind of COVID situation, the isolation, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had about um, 
is is the state of young people's mental health worse now than it was 30 years ago or mm. is it that young people now have uh, a language um to express their mental health and are encouraged to talk about it and so we're just more aware of it now than before mm-hmm. um i think there are some definitely some particular 21st century mental health issues i think mm. social media is a huge one mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I, i mean again obviously covid i think kind of climate anxiety and you know mm-hmm. the kind of 24 hour rolling news thing that you know you open your phone and every time you open it there's headlines screaming at you that everything's terrible and the world's going to end soon um yeah. so i definitely do think that there are some things which are particular to now which aren't mm-hmm. great for mental health but then you know 50 years ago it was the cold war and the cuban missile crisis you know and before yeah. that it was world war 2 and that yeah. this stuff yeah. has always been around so i'm not yeah. sure i'm not sure whether people feel worse today than they have before or whether we're just able to talk about it uh mm. better um than we did before i i, mm. I really feel like the jury's out on that one um i mm. uh, i feel sometimes we have a culture which is prone to like we love diagnosing stuff and we love putting a label on things so <laughs> yeah. if you yeah. feel a bit anxious you have anxiety mm. you know and if you mm. feel a bit sad you have depression um mm. and i wonder whether that's always helpful i think obviously in 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 times when it is genuinely an illness obviously having the diagnosis is helpful and going on medication getting treatment and whatever else yeah. but i yeah. i wonder if maybe sometimes we potentially need to slightly redress the balance and and, and just mm-hmm. in terms of articulating like it's normal mm-hmm. to feel this way it's okay to feel this way everybody feels this way sometimes and it doesn't mean that there's anything hugely wrong with you or that you you have an imbalance in your brain mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah and i've wondered that about my own i mean i've talked a bit about my own mental health issues i've mm-hmm. i've grappled with anxiety for as long as i've been an adult uh, and and before mm-hmm. then actually even as a teenager and mm-hmm. in the past couple of years i've i've had some issues with depression um and i've wondered whether you know is do i is this a, a condition that i have like an illness or is it just that um i'm feeling what lots of people are feeling maybe even most people are feeling um and i just need to find a way of managing it in a healthy way and talking about it and that kind of thing um yeah yeah so i don't know what do you think yeah I I agree I agree that we have a tendency to patholog pathologize <laughs> that's hard to say when you think it's um and we have a tendency to want to put a label on things um you know the same is true for sort of um learning needs you know and labeling people ADHD or um with Asperger's or you know these things that they are definitely um conditions in and of themselves um but i think we can be too quick to put the label on it mm-hmm. but i think in a sense that's that's kind of young people driven as well because um you know if you go into a school and talk um you know my kids so i've got two boys one is 14 and one is 11 both at the same secondary school now mm-hmm. and you know i i used to be a pshe teacher myself that's what i taught when i was in secondary school cool. teaching um and i was always really keen that kids should have the language to express their emotional need mm-hmm. um and i think you know part of that that's always been sort of with me if you like through my youth work as well as my teaching 
history. But I know that my older boy in particular, he has had PSAT lessons recently where it, um, where they've talked about, you know, anxiety and depression. And, and the kids kind of, their reaction to it is always really interesting and can be very over the top and mm -hmm. very kind of like, oh, if you are, you know, and I've got anxiety because I was a bit anxious about my test this morning. And you're like, well, you're doing the test, so you're going to be a bit anxious. Yeah. It's 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 kind of that's a very normal thing to feel as you say and we perhaps can be a bit too quick to um to create a, a whole um thing out of that um but also my younger boy he is definitely suffers with more anxiety than my older boy does yeah. um so looking at those two together is an interesting thing and and my little one will feel it much more feel much more anxious about a vocabulary test um for example or whatever um and and i think for him it's part of his i think he's a highly sensitive child um and so therefore you know he, he feels the feelings much more deeply um than, than my older one does who who doesn't doesn't fit that uh, highly sensitive kind of criteria quite so mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. i think um but i think uh, yeah, sorry, across you. Um, I was just going to say we we are um, so with the organisation that I work for at the moment. Um, who I, I I don't think I'll name just because I'm not officially kind of representing them, and I don't want to kind of um say anything that would get me into trouble at work. But um, but <laughs> this is fairly safe. Uh, we're having so so you know we're, we're we focus on mental health and well-being, and that's kind of our mm. specialty. And at the moment, we're having this conversation about possibly shifting the language more from mental health towards the language of well-being, because it feels okay. like um, sometimes the language around mental health can feel quite binary. Like you either have a mental health condition or you don't. You either have the label or you don't. So you can see the word mental health and think that's not for me because I don't have a yeah. diagnosis, basically. Whereas well-being is something that we can all relate to and it's on a spectrum. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum of well-being, everything's great and you feel peaceful and happy and alive and all that kind of stuff. And on the other end, yeah. obviously, are the really, really serious mental health conditions like psychosis or suicidal yeah. thoughts or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. I, I think I think that kind of language shift makes it makes sense because it kind of. So, um, I mean, I won't talk about your two sons because I don't know them, but based on what yeah. you've just said, the the language of mental health might seem really relevant to one of them and maybe less so to the other but the language of well-being yeah. and how you look after your state of mind and um feel happy and safe and good in yourself that's relevant to both of them regardless of where they are on the kind of spectrum um yeah so uh, yeah I, I i'm kind of up for that i think i think yeah i mm -hmm. i 24 7 all the time 365 days a year well-being is an issue yeah. for me as it is for all of us. Um, whereas there are times in my life when mental health feels like an issue and there's times when it doesn't. Um, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would, com I completely see that in my own life. You know, there have been times where, um, yeah, I, things have felt um, a lot more like, well, this is, you know, life is good and things are going along okay. And, um, you know, and then other times where it's been much harder to kind of lift my head up, if you mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. uh, a better way to put it. So um, I think that's a really interesting shift of language. It'd be it'd be interesting to see um, kind of, uh, and I think that that's, I've seen a few different places where that seems to be the the shift that's taking place generally in the in the mental health world, if you mm -hmm. like. Um, 
and there's much more talk of this idea of a, of a spectrum and it's not you know you either have a mental health illness or you don't yeah. it's a mental illness rather or you don't it's it's more of this spectrum of feeling different ways that we feel yeah. ourselves or not or, or not as the case may be and that's uh, it's really important it's hard because there isn't i mean like with with your physical health you can get a blood test or an autopsy or a cat scan or whatever it is and you can pinpoint the thing that's gone wrong and you can say you do you have got a cold or you have got cancer or what you know whatever it is um whereas with mental health like you say because it's more it's it's harder to kind of grasp and there are i think certain conditions that you can do that with i think there's types of psychosis or something where you can literally look at the chemicals in the brain and say look this is literally something that's here and you can pinpoint it but i would say with the majority of mental health issues because it's such a spectrum it's hard to know at what point feeling anxious becomes a diagnosable kind of illness um whereas i think if we shift a little bit more towards the language of well-being we can say actually yeah. looking after your anxious feelings is important all of the time, regardless of who you are. Um, and I think that that's quite helpful. That's absolutely not to take away from the fact that for some people, um, a, a diagnosis really does matter. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to kind of come across as uh, a- anti-professional <laughs> mental health <laughs> support, because obviously, obviously when there's a real illness in place, then getting, therapy and medication whatever else it is 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 absolutely yeah. what you should be doing um but, but yeah. i guess for most people most of the time the language of well-being is probably more i guess accessible maybe palatable than some of the language around mental health and it also obviously points to it being a long a, a long journey as it were you know we, we we will need to look after our mental health our mental well-being all through our lives not only when we're teenagers yeah. Um, I think that um, I liked what you said at the beginning about um, we can sometimes we it's almost as if young people are a whole different species yeah, yeah. <laughs> people and I think we can fall into that trap a little bit um, because they are adolescents because I guess they're at a very particular stage in um, in their development as as, as people um, then we can we can kind of end up looking at them like a different a different kind of breed really um and i guess that's true for um for our mental health a lot of a lot of mental illness doesn't really manifest itself fully until um young adulthood um particularly the more serious conditions i guess um it's difficult to diagnose i'm uh, learning more and more just how tricky it can be for even for professionals to uh, to actually diagnose a particular condition or not um depending on you know all there are so many different factors they have to take into consideration um and so many different ways that these that that conditions like psychosis and schizophrenia and um you know down to the sort of uh, i was going to say less complicated borderline personality disorder is not less complicated (laughs) at all very complex of course but seems quite specifically different in a, in a way to, to the understanding of um, schizophrenia and psychosis, which seem to go hand in hand a bit more um, from what I can, from what I can understand. I'm do, currently doing, and again, as you said, but perhaps shouldn't, should have mentioned this earlier. I'm currently doing a psychology course. So I've done quite a lot of study on <laughs> schizophrenia and psychosis. Oh, um, 
which um, has been really interesting, but also a little bit disheartening to kind of go, oh, people, we don't necessarily know very much yeah. about these about uh, conditions that seem to cause pro- uh, cause a lot of problems for people, uh, for some people. And then also there are lots of people perhaps who would say it's not a problem for me to live this way. It's a different way of living, yeah. that's all. Yeah. Um, and it quite profound i think some of those experiences yeah absolutely i think there's there's definitely um something really important to be i I can remember as a um teenager and into my early 20s and feeling like uh anxiety was was really kind of life-threatening really like not in the sense of kind of feeling suicidal but just in the sense of like i i felt like i couldn't face the world and it was too scary and talking to my mum who uh, has also had her grapples with anxiety and I can remember her saying to me as somebody 30 years older than me you know a lot of the time it's just about kind of making my peace with anxiety and just kind of accepting that this is the way I'm going to feel now for a couple of days and at the time as somebody in my early 20s I remember thinking that just isn't good enough I can't I can't make my peace with this because it's it's fucking horrible like i just want to sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on your podcast but but i have no. apologies <laughs> to jenny's listeners um, but it's horrible it's it, like it it feels so kind of overwhelming and actually as i you know i'm now in my mid-30s and there are still times when it feels that way but there are also times when i am able to do that thing that my mom talked about which is just to go ah, this is how i'm feeling at the moment okay well, it's just how it's going to be for a few days and that's okay. And I guess that kind of comes with, I don't know if that's necessarily an age brings wisdom thing um, because I'd be very hesitant to apply any label of wisdom to myself. (laughs) Um, But I think it's probably just a sense of I've been on this journey and I've done it so many times. The the feeling is so familiar that I know it's not going to kill me, that I know it's not going to be kind of absolute, excuse me, absolutely world destroying um that just so when we were talking just now about um uh youth not being distinct from adults um it Mm. brought to mind a really great do are you um are you part of iasym the it's such a mouthful the international association for the study of youth ministry and um, I have come across them. I'm not. I'm not a member, or um, yeah, I haven't sort of looked at it okay. too closely. But I've certainly, yeah, well, heard of them. First of all, let me say that it's a brilliant organisation, and I really, really recommend anyone who's interested in youth ministry to to sign up. And um, but they publish a, a journal, the Journal of Youth and Theology. And a few years ago, um, okay. there's a brilliant uh, article written in the journal um, by a guy called uh, František Steck, who uh, I can't remember where he comes from. He's I think from maybe finland i know i can't remember it'll come back to me but he wrote this article called uh who are youth in theological perspective and basically the whole gist of the argument is that theologically speaking youth isn't a formational stage which we step into and then step out of as we get older it's a state of being it's a it's a way of approaching life and approaching god that never leaves us and so he describes youth as kind of being characterized by longing for love and acceptance, searching for meaning, openness, excitement, activity, creativity, hope, etc. Um and he I, I really love that idea that and I really it really resonates with me as well because uh, you know I've mm-hmm. half of my life now has been not as a teenager, if you see what I mean. Like I I've I, I stopped being a teenager eighteen years ago. Um 
or, or whatever. I don't know. I'm not good at maths, <laughs> but I still very much at times <laughs> feel like, like I don't feel that different to how I felt when I was 17. No. And I love that idea that mm. youth and youthfulness is something that I'll carry with me until the day that I die. Um, and so is, you know, old age, you know, you meet old 10 year olds, mm. don't you, who, you know, talk about having old <laughs> souls and that kind of stuff. And I really like that idea that we, we don't grow out of that youthful state of mind, that youthful way of approaching life and that youthful hope and way of communicating with God and with humanity. Um, and I think that that's really relevant to the mental health thing as well, isn't it? Because I think when you're in those really like dark chapters of your mental health, uh, it, you can feel like a helpless child almost, you know, like you need somebody to help you get dressed in the morning. Um, and the way to get out of that doesn't change if you're 16 or if you're 50, um, you still need people around you. You still need to be loved. You still need support and maybe someone to hold your hand for a time. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm really into that idea that, you know, youth, young people aren't different to us. Um, mm. Mm. Yes, I, I completely agree. I, I, I like that idea that we that we bring our youth with us. It's not something we step out of or leave behind, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is true that young people feel their emotions more. Um, I think it can be true that um, that there's an intensity around the adolescent mm-hmm. period that perhaps does fall away somewhat. And you kind of alluded to that when you were talking about your anxiety and how difficult it felt, you know, how crippling perhaps, if I can use that word, um, it felt as a teenager to how it feels now. Um, And actually, it is part of that, as you say, that part of that journey of, well, I've lived with this for a long time and so I understand what this is now better than I did um, perhaps previously. And I understand that, um, it's going to be there and then it's going to pass. And that's, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but as a teenager, that can be a very difficult thing to see definitely. And it's, and it's partly, you know, because of the lack of experience perhaps. And we, and so it feels like we're all, always going to feel mm-hmm. this way. <laughs> um, and that's not okay. Life is not okay at the moment. I don't want to feel like this yeah. for the rest of my life kind of. Um, and certainly, you know, I've heard my boys say something quite similar. Oh, this is horrible. I don't want this because it's mm-hmm. horrible life doing horrible yeah. things you know and it does feel in the moment i i, I remember um <laughs> despite as you say having not been a teenager for a very long time now um it's still quite clear but that uh, that that fact in itself is interesting because going back to what the uh, person was writing mm-hmm. in the journal of youth, and, youth work and theology you know Actually, the fact that I can remember so clearly, <laughs> well, I'm, for, I'm now 45 and I can remember very clearly some of the feelings and emotions I had when I was yeah. 14. And, 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 you know, and I think it, it shows you that we do bring it all with us, even if even if things as things change in yeah. life in general. And even as things uh, we are able perhaps to to carry our, our burdens a bit more. Um, I don't know bit more yeah. lightly well it's, uh, i, I um, am uh, a friend of mine once 
told me that I crush easily. And what she meant by that, she didn't mean I was brittle boned. She meant that I have crushes on people. Like I get crushes on people really easily. And we kind of laughed and it it was absolutely true. Um, But when I think back to the kind of 15 year old me, who is just this hopeless romantic and, you know, these crushes were absolutely (laughs) everything about my life, you know, and, you know, if they didn't love me, then the world was over. And if there was any sign that maybe they did like me, then what, you know, then everything was going to be okay forever. That's kind of how it felt. Um, And there's an element of like, these feelings are kind of new. So they feel kind of all encompassing. And obviously there's an element of just biology as well. There's hormones flying around and that kind of stuff. But the point is that I still get crushes on people all the time. And I think I probably like always will, (laughs) but with, you know, an extra 20 years under my belt since, you know, being 15, I can recognize those Mm -hmm. and kind of almost laugh at them and laugh Mm -hmm. at myself about them and not feel Mm -hmm. completely overwhelmed. Like my future happiness Mm -hmm. depends on this one person. And I can kind of recognize that like in 15 minutes i won't feel this way anymore <laughs> and in two days it'll be somebody else yeah i'm telling you they come and go like nobody's business <laughs> um but yeah so what, sorry go on that's such a, it's such a great example I, I can see in my mind's eye 15 year old tim with his sort of you know everything the world is amazing because this person has shown me that, that some mm. kind of affection or returned a bit of a bit of my my uh crush to me that's really lovely what a great picture <laughs> yeah so i guess it's true of like <laughs> you know whether it's profound existential anxiety or you know having crushes on people you know that those maybe those emotions feel so much more raw as a teenager because you mm-hmm. have less experience mm-hmm. of them um and and again, I don't want to kind of take away from the fact that there is literally a biological, you have got hormones flying around. So maybe your emotions are coming kind of thicker and faster. I don't really know. Um, but but uh, yeah, I definitely, I, they, they don't go. They don't, you, know, you don't get to a point where you go, I can't believe I ever felt that way as a teenager or I haven't anyway. I get to the kind of point of going, yeah, I still yeah, sometimes feel yeah, that way. Yeah. Um, and it's maybe less scary now, yeah. but those emotions are still there and I still carry yeah. them. Mm, mm. I I remember reading um, or actually watching a TED talk it was not reading a thing but watching a TED talk by a neurologist um, from here in the UK who was talking about um, adolescence and how how it how it changes the brain and I remember her saying that um, adolescence is now defined as the period of time from um from when the from when the hormones begin to kick in until that person that individual is making a kind of um balanced contribution to society <laughs> and at that point i thought wow yeah, I might still yeah, be that that's a terrible <laughs> definition <laughs> I think, <laughs> well i think she was trying to say that adolescence lasts a lot longer than anybody really thinks it yeah, does yeah um <laughs> and, the brain changes continue to happen. You know, it's not that it begins at 11 and ends at 18. It's that it's that it's, um, you know, we carry actually, I guess in a sense, she was saying we carry our youth with mm-hmm. us into adulthood. You know, we, the neurological pathways are still being created and that prefrontal cortex is yeah. still being built, you know, into our, into our young adulthood. And, it, and, and neurologists would say, I think, that it's the prefrontal cortex that allows us 
to mitigate some of those very strong emotions that we feel um, mm -hmm. as, as adolescents. Because it's the, the prefrontal cortex is the emotional stabilizer of our brain <laughs> and, and is the place where we can, we can begin to understand somebody else's point of view, which we can't do before that's, before that is fully developed. And we begin to be able to measure out what is this emotion I'm feeling and do I need to act on it? Or, you know, and, and there's a bit of a break applied to the um, the sort of amygdala brain, which is going, do it, do it, yeah. do it, do yeah. it now, do it now. Come on. This is what we need to be done now. So it's all really yeah. fascinating to me. Really, really that, fascinating. I, I think um, um, maybe steering it slightly back to religion. I, so I don't know anything about neuroscience. I find it interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I've read the odd article or whatever. And I, I always think, oh, I'd love to know more about this, but I don't really know more about it. But that um, that um, it feels like, to kind of give it a the theological philosophical kind of language that uh, amygdala with the, the do it, do it, do it bit um, in, in the, the kind of in Greek, the word is eros, I think, which is a, it's a, so there's four okay. words for love in Greek. I can't remember quite what they all are, but eros is one of yeah. them. And eros, you know, is where we get the word erotic from, yeah. but it doesn't just mean like sexy love. It means like um, yeah. that, the kind of yearning, the passion, the kind of, um, you know, I can't think of anything apart from this because the desire is so strong or whatever, you know, it's that really kind of overwhelming kind of feeling. And then the, um, tell me if I've got this wrong, but I think you said the prefrontal cortex, a bit that controls you, gives you some empathy and that kind of yeah. stuff that potentially is yeah. what yeah. The, the Greeks called agape love, which is a kind of love for all of humanity, the feeding the homeless, you know, brotherly love, that kind of thing. And I think one of the reasons why, the church has such a difficult relationship with young people is that the church is really comfortable talking about agape love and your kind of sense of duty, your sense of kind of yeah. Christian, you know, this, this is what we do. And, you know, it's nice to be nice to people and that kind of thing. Um, but actually we're quite scared of the Eros love, I think. Um, and again, I mean, there's, that's yeah, obviously definitely. true when it comes to conversations around sex. And I've talked about that on this podcast in a few different episodes. Um, but I think it's also true just more mm. broadly of that kind of yearning, that kind of passion, um, which mm. I think, you mm. know, we're just a bit uncomfortable around, you know, because we have, a, I think, a possibly kind of post-war middle class kind of ethic sensibility um, about kind of, you know, almost like a stiff upper lip kind of thing, you know, like, uh, that, you know, church isn't really the place for those kinds of feelings. Nobody would ever say that, but I think that's sometimes what comes across. Um, and yes, in that sense, yes. I think it's all, you know, there was this thing, um, I think it was kind of at the beginning of last year, the, the church of England put something out. I think it was after kind of a conversation at Synod, which is like for, for those people who aren't churchy, that's the kind of, uh, church's parliament almost that, that meets once a year and they were talking about you know we really want to be more relevant to young people we want young people to feel like they can come to us and that kind of stuff and then just a few days later they released the statement mm -hmm. about sex and sexuality that was oh, basically yeah. saying you know how it yes. should be one man one woman within marriage <laughs> and just missionary position like it, it didn't go quite that far but it was that kind of thing and i remember just thinking <laughs> oh come on how can you possibly oh, like no. you're trying to be relevant oh, to young yeah. people and then the next day releasing yeah. this, like, yeah. a, and for the record, completely unbiblical. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? That, that concept of sex yeah. and sexuality, it's not from the Bible. Um, 
but just absolutely like it detached from reality kind of this this is how really things should be um and i just i i feel like the church is really missing out by not giving more of a platform to the kind of eros thing to the kind of come on what do we want what are we yearning for you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be about relationships it can be you know the planet's burning come on yeah. let's get out there and do something you know it, it, we're, we're seeing right-wing fascism re-emerging come on let's 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 you know let's go to town hall and do something about it um but we yeah. I, I think a lot of church culture is almost kind of about maintaining the status quo you know it's about kind of you know well it's good to be good to people and if you're anxious maybe say a prayer um and I'm being I'm being a bit of a dick about it. It's obviously not that I'm, I'm exaggerating it, but it's that kind of. Unfortunately, I have I have heard that uh, almost those exact thing that exact thing from from churches. So it's it although it's it's a tricky one to really to really kind of uh, uh, narrow down on in, in terms of you know one can feel like well it's a complete stereotype that, that churches don't care about. The climate or or they don't they're not not comfortable with the as you say the yearning the eros of um of i don't know <laughs> the eros side of love i guess as you as, as you pointed out um and that can feel like it's quite negatively stereotyping but unfortunately i think there are situations there are places where that is true that is the case um and the equally therefore there are situations there are churches where that is not the case or communities of people who are christian or following the the, um following a christian path um who might might not want to call themselves a church (laughs) um because actually what they want is more authenticity and that thing about yearning i think is a really key is a really key thing that a lot of those who have perhaps um moved away from a more traditional model of church have kind of gone there was no space for yearning there was no space for questioning there was no space for a kind of a a, a sort of um questioning gospel i guess a questioning way of looking at the life and times of jesus and and um and what the bible really says about Mm -hmm. x y or z and i think churches do have a tendency to be very black and white about that it's very kind of well, the bible's very clear about lots of things yeah know? yeah i don't yeah. think it is <laughs> absolutely actually i don't think the bible's very clear about nearly as many things as, as we like to think it is and, and that's because going back to the thing about wanting to put labels on things we are human beings and we want to put a label on something we want to be able to say this is what this means and i'm gesturing now <laughs> as if as if you can see me <laughs> We want to put it in a box, and that's the box. That's the Bible. Yeah. That's what the Bible says about sexuality. And unfortunately, that is exactly what that bishop's statement mm-hmm. said. That synod statement said was, "This is the box. No going out of the box. This is the box that's acceptable. And if you're outside of this box, then you're not acceptable." That's, yeah. that's what ended up coming across. And then a lot of, a lot of Church of England, particularly people, because they purported to speak for the mm-hmm. Church of England. Um, a lot of people very, very disappointed and very cross and angry, actually, about that, about the way that statement yeah. was released. And, and do you know, I mean, I, it, I so. don't know this, and but I, think, I bet probably mm. lots of bishops were really disappointed by that statement. 
And I think my, my, my instinct is like, like most Christians who I meet are intelligent, thoughtful, passionate people. Most people who I meet are, but there's something about when we come together into an institution and into, um, I, I dare say an institution with some power that squashes that kind of questioning, that kind of yearning. Um, And I, I would imagine, I mean, I'm not, hugely into many other institutions but i'd imagine people who walk the halls of parliament every day probably have the same frustrations um or you know i think wherever there's that kind of like we have to hold on to power and we have to hold on to everybody who's here and not let anybody escape that it it kind of squashes that kind Mm -hmm. of conversation even though on an individual level one by one everyone wants those kinds of conversations and 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 loves them and engages with them Um, and it's a really hard thing to manage i think yeah yeah i think it is i think it is and i think that's it it's part kind of points to the reason why there are so many people leaving um mm-hmm. traditional church kind of um communities or traditional church uh what am i trying to say there but traditional yeah. church congregational style behind moving into yeah. something that looks quite yeah. different um it's quite heartening to uh yeah yeah unless you're really fighting for the traditional church in which case it's quite scary to see (laughs) (laughs) yes yes indeed um yeah indeed but as as desmond tutu has been purported to say you know at some point uh we have to stop pulling people out of the river we have to go upstream to find out why they're why they're falling in um that's true too of that that is such a it's such a good statement because it applies yeah. to so yeah, many absolutely. different contexts <laughs> and that's the, the church um and people leaving i think you know it, it feels like there's not many questions being yeah. asked about why people leave um we seem to have we've moved quite a long <laughs> way this is, what happens. This, this is how all my podcasts go <laughs> <laughs> i think it's something about me i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 it's great to um this is a, a bit of a departure for Jenny Talks podcast because on the Jenny Talks podcast, we do more shorter um, mm-hmm. kind of conversations with people. But I'm really interested in um, it's great. It, it's just fascinating to talk to people. Um, and, and, you know, you've been great. It's been great to talk at some length about a particular subject and, and just kind of let it go. It's Thank been you. great. I've really enjoyed really it. Really good. Yeah, enjoy talking to um, you. Yeah. Well, Yes, and I'm sorry great. we couldn't do it. I was um, so um, for listeners, I was really hoping to drive to Jenny's uh, and do this face to face in person. Um, but the, I, I've got a cough, which I think probably isn't COVID, but because of the times we're living in, I'm self isolating <laughs> at the moment because of my cough. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't left the house for a few days, which is a bummer. Um, so yeah, that's that's why we're yes. having to do it over the internet instead of in person, which would have been much more fun. But I'm definitely up for doing it another time in person if you are. Yeah, yeah, let's let's definitely let's do that. That would be great. Okay, mm-hmm. I think our time then is coming to a bit of an end. So that's brilliant. And Tim, thank you ever so much for for being on the Jenny Talks podcast. Uh, thank you it's for really being on the General Speech podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm really looking yeah, forward to how too. this sounds when it comes out. It'll be great. Okay. All right. Thanks yeah. a lot, Jenny. All right. Take care. Take care then. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.